Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation with the guest that I have on today, and his name is Ren Coy. He's a British author and host of the Life and Recovery podcast, so I'm giving you guys a whole nother podcast to tune into and to listen to. An ex-DJ and music producer, he spent over 10 years drinking alcoholically and using drugs before joining 12-step fellowships in 2010 following an emotional breakdown. Ren had a spiritual awakening and psychic change as a result of working the 12-step program. Having a strong affiliation with Japanese culture, he adopted the pseudonym Ren Koi, Ren meaning both lotus and love in Japanese, and Koi being the symbol of courage in Buddhism, while also being associated with perseverance in adversity and strength of purpose in Japan. And he also began writing books. He's written many books, and actually the one that I had the chance to review is called All is One. Working in the substance misuse field since 2015, Ren has tried to carry the message of recovery to still suffering alcoholics and addicts. He works in partnership with people both personally and professionally to help them change their lives to the better and achieve positive and self-affirming goals. Ren, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you, April. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. All right. So we're talking about your book, All is One. And uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me was a line in your book that you said, the point being that I don't believe in anything unless it's scientifically proven or unless I've experienced it for myself. So I think in our conversation today, we're going to let our listeners know what you mean by that and thought that we could open up a little bit with your background and what led you to the 12-step program. We did kind of talk a little bit about that in your bio, and now you're writing books and doing your best to help people. Yeah. So uh, I'll skip the whole kind of story as to how I ended up getting into recovery in the first place, because it was the kind of typical, you know, alcohol and drug story that, you know, I hit a rock bottom in 2009. And then after a year of abstinence from substances, was still feeling horrendous, you know, like homicidal and suicidal. And I knew that I needed to do something and I knew that there was something missing in my life. Unfortunately, my, my dad was already in 12, a 12-step 12 fellowship and, you know, he'd kind of planted the seed many years before. So that was the reason why I tried Alcoholics Anonymous and, and it worked for me. You know, I got sober, I've stayed sober ever since. But what it did for me is it opened up a whole different journey, a journey of spirituality prior to break. I mean, I probably have classed myself definitely agnostic and probably an atheist really, but I had these spiritual experiences in my early recovery that I couldn't explain. And it then kind of led to me really going in depth and researching kind of religion and spirituality of all different, you know, cultures and, and faiths. And then led to me writing my first book, which was called Addiction Prevention, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening. So. 
I was in that book, I was talking about how I felt that the 12 steps could be used in schools to help young people to develop emotional intelligence and to overcome a lot of the issues that funnily enough, due to the pandemic, we're really seeing now have become an exacerbated in young people. So I think it was a little bit ahead of the curve there. And now, you know, I, I wrote a few books in between the, the, the current one, which you've just reviewed all is one, the science and spirituality of consciousness. And the reason why that book came about was because I think I'd said everything that I, that I wanted to say around addiction and recovery, but there was still a lot of stuff around the spirituality and how people incorporate spirituality into their lives, what that means to people. And also I'm a, I'm a scientific and rational person. So for me, you know, if I hadn't have had these spiritual experiences, I would never have gone down that path in the first place, but because I'd had these experiences. I wanted to learn more about the science behind consciousness and behind this idea of, you know, of the mind of God, so to speak, in order to be able to try to marry the two things together. So hence the reason why the subtitle is the science and spirituality of consciousness. I wanted to marry the two things together. And also the, the, the key aim for the book, and, and you can tell me if I achieved this or not, was to really simplify it. So to take very, very difficult scientific concepts around quantum physics, etc and try to simplify those in a way that was kind of palatable for for anybody to read it yeah i would agree and i would say i have a little bit of background in that and i've interviewed quite a few people on the podcast that are physicists and scientists and can get a little lost sometimes in those conversations but i really did appreciate a lot of the examples that you gave it really brought it down to a level that i think the reader you know can understand and they don't need to have a background in physics whatsoever you know you brought I think nice personal stories to it as well. And actually the birth of your daughter, Alice, you kind of had a really, I'd like you to kind of tell the synchronistic story about you asking for a sign to make sure that everything was okay before she was born. But also, you know, it was kind of striking that when she was born, it even, I felt reading your book launched you to ask these questions on an even deeper level as she was like reflecting life back to you. Yeah, well, the, the synchronistic story, I actually can't remember, <laughs> remember off the top of my head. I just, just thumbed it up when I, when I said, what, what was the synchronistic happening? It was Google. The Google. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Alice in Wonderland homepage. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. yeah, that was quite, quite. I can't remember the exact circumstances around what, you know, like when, when that happened. But yeah, it was uh, when my partner and I were discussing names and uh, we, we decided on Alice. The Google homepage on that day was the Alice in Wonderland homepage. I think that, I think that was what happened, but it was just one of those moments where we both looked at it and we were kind of like, wow, that is, that is definitely a sign of what we need to do. Yeah. And some of it too, was you questioning, like you were talking in the book that sometimes, you know, when your faith would waver a little bit, you know, yeah. you would begin to question your spirituality and you would kind of demand signs and ask them to happen immediately. You also have one about Jesus running. I don't know if you yeah, remember that. Yeah, that yeah, was pretty yeah, intense. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that since we're on a little bit of synchronicity, but I think your partner was going to have a C-section and you were a little concerned and worried. And you said, please give me a sign that she's going to be okay, that everything will turn out okay. And you go onto Google and Google happens to have Alice in Wonderland and you guys had already picked the name. So that was a really, you know, cool story. And it's funny too, because where I live in New York, they have this Alice in Wonderland exhibit that's going on right now. I see ads for it all the time in like the past month. And then here you are showing up on the Path Loving podcast. Cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole thing about synchronicity for me is that when, and, and 
you know, and I've been through many periods where my kind of faith is, I, I've always believed that there is a, you know, like a power greater than myself, you know, a, a higher power, so to speak. I mean, and the whole point of the book was to explore what that kind of means really, you know, the, the conclusions that I come to are that the, you know, that everything in the universe is, is God, there's this higher power experience in itself, you know, and that is what consciousness is. Every consciousness gives rise to matter rather than matter giving rise to consciousness is kind of like the argument of the book and the synchronicity element of it. Yeah. Is all, that is always what happens is I always kind of like you use the word demand and it is pretty much demand. It's like, I need a say now in order for me to continue believing this is real. And it's, and it, and it always delivers and, and the, the Jesus story. Yeah. It's just so weird. It's just like these, I mean, I'll, I'll tell the story. So I was, I was on, I was on the beach in, in Greece. I decided to read the Bible because I'd never read the Bible before. And I wanted to kind of, you know, just do a little bit of study into it and kind of get, get a bit of a grasp of of what the book is all about really. And, you know, I'm not, I'm no scholar, so I don't necessarily read particularly deeply into the things that I'm reading. Sometimes that can often take a long time. A lot of it for me is kind of like surface level initially. And as I was reading through the book and I was kind of, you know, I was getting, I was just getting the feeling that similarly to investigations that I've done in the past into other kind of religions and spiritualities that a lot of these stories are kind of metaphors and a lot of these stories are, are almost made up for adults in order to help them to explain the mystery. So it kind of almost, it, it kind of becomes a little bit fictional in my mind. And, and I was getting to a point where I was kind of like questioning it all and thinking, you know, this is like, just, you know, it's just a bit too basic really. So I said out loud, if I'm, if I'm to believe that Jesus Christ was a real person, he was crucified and he was brought back from the dead. I need a, I need a sign. Like I, I really need a sign to, to, to believe that. And as soon as I said it, and I was, I was stood on this, this kind of like barren road and, and walking back to the apartments in Greece. As soon as I said that over the hill, it becomes this, this runner and he's running towards me. And he, all he had on was a pair of running shorts. had no, no top on just a, you know, and he had dark hair and a beard and the typical archetypal Jesus Christ figure is exactly what it was like. And he just ran straight past me and he looked me in the eye as he walked past me and said hello in Greek and carried on walking and carried on running. And I just thought, well, that was, that was very, very weird. So I kind of carried on walking and, and I was like, is that, is that, did that really happen? Was that like, that was, that was my sign. So I went, got back to the apartment and I was, I got in the swimming pool to cool off and I was just swimming in the swimming pool. I was still thinking to myself, well, that was a bit too much, you know, that was like a bit too obvious. And then lo and behold, the guy comes running down again, down the pathway, looks straight in my eye again, and then ran off and I never saw him again. Like, I, I don't know where he was staying. I don't know. Like I was in a small little village and I, I never saw him again for the rest of the holiday. So I don't know. It was just, it was one of those. And I, and, and, and I suppose if you ask for a sign and you get a sign immediately, then, you know, you have to put your faith in the thing that you've asked for the sign for. So, yeah. So uh, those types of things have happened to me in very bizarre ways quite a lot over the years. Yeah. And I was laughing reading that story because it's happened to me a couple of times too, where I've demanded a sign, asked for a sign. It came immediately. And I was like, well, it can't come that quickly. Can you send me another? Just really prove to me that what you just showed me is proof. Because, you know, like you said, the mistrust. 
You know, it almost seemed to happen too quickly. And what are the chances? And then seeing him again is interesting. So this kind of brings me back to what you had written in the book about that you don't believe anything unless it's scientifically proven or unless I've experienced it for myself. And so a lot of the stories that you share are based on personal experiences. And I couldn't agree more with that, that once you experience something, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can tell you that it, that it doesn't exist because that, that that's your experience. And that is maybe, I don't know if how beliefs are formed per se, but you just, I, maybe not a belief, it's more of a knowing, you just know it to be true. But the other thing with it being scientifically proven, I wanted to maybe not really challenge you on that a little bit, but you also mentioned that science doesn't always get it right. And you gave some examples about how we once believed what science had taught earlier on, and now we have proven that to not be true. So I wanted to give you a chance to explain a little bit, like if it is scientifically proven, but we also know that the track record of science sometimes doesn't always get it right. How do you base that on, you know, believing in that so strongly that it's either science or my experience? And I wanted to hear more about your thoughts on that. I suppose what I go off in, in, in essence is kind of what you just said there, really. The fact is that I've had my own experiences, so therefore I can communicate those experiences to you, but you've had your own experiences as well. So if we communicate those experiences to each other, there might be some middle ground. And what you find is that if you open up this topic to anybody, like if you sat down and had a conversation with anybody and you said, have you ever had a spiritual experience? They'll tell you something that, that, that they've had that's an experience, but that they've had, that most people never tell anybody because they think people will think that they're weird or they'll think that they're crazy right. or whatever. So, and I've got the luxury because I'm in, in, in recovery and I hear stories like this all the time. That was what, that was what changed my mind on it. You see, because I was like, well, I've had these experiences, but I've never heard anybody talk about these experiences before. Then I'm hearing loads of people talking about them all the time. Then I'm reading about them as well. So then this whole new universe opens up to me where there's thousands of people that have written amazing books about spirituality and these spiritual experiences. So. There's that element of it. And then plus, if you couple in the fact that science, so, you know, like on the base level, for example, at the moment, the whole thing about quantum physics is proving that what we see here in the material world isn't, isn't real, isn't, isn't the reality. There is a reality underlying that reality that, that so our perception, how our brain and our eyes formulate this experience isn't real. And that, in order to get your head around that is very, very difficult initially because it just doesn't make any sense. So again, it takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of reading other people, listening to, I listen to podcasts constantly, uh, uh, people talking about these things and slowly but surely it informed my way of thinking. So scientifically speaking, the experiences, oh, and also just to couple in with all that as well is psychedelics as well. So I've had psychedelic experiences where the things that I had already learned or things that I hadn't learned, I learned through those psychedelic experiences and it all comes together as one massive amount of data, which forms that book that, that you've read. So, and, and also to answer the question about science and the way that it changes, science does change. I mean, I mean, some people get upset and offended when you say, you know, that science is kind of almost the best guess at the time, but that is actually true. You know, science is based on the data that's presented. It's like data for the pandemic, for example, they got a lot of things wrong because they thought initially that this is the, the way to go. You know, the science is saying, do this. 
and actually that wasn't the right thing to do, you know, and, and then the science changed. So that's what I'm saying is that the science can change and the science will continue to change. And as more in-depth research goes into quantum physics, I, I believe that we'll get to a point where, you know, hopefully the mysteries of the universe will be revealed to us. And do you ever feel like as you're on this journey that maybe you might even disregard science to a certain level and just live based on fully your experience? I think I do do that anyway. I think that the reason why this book got published by John Hunt Publishing was because I do give as much credit to the scientific argument as I do to just my own experiences. I think if it was just my own experiences, people wouldn't take it seriously. Mm. But so that's why I always look at it from a scientific perspective. But in my own, in my own actual life, that isn't really important to me, to be honest with you. I think that the, the problem is that we live in, in, a, in a world where society wouldn't accept anything other than a scientific explanation for these experiences and more and more people are having these experiences or maybe not more and more people are having them. I think that more and more people are just communicating about them now, obviously due to the interconnectedness of the world. So it's becoming a more common thing. Like if somebody, if somebody said to you 10 years ago, you know, I'm a spiritual person and I have spiritual experiences and I take psychedelics. You kind of looked at them, you know, a bit funny and thought that they were a bit strange. Whereas if somebody said that to you now, that's pretty much normal. Like most people have some viewpoint on spirituality and probably about 50% of the people I come across have tried psychedelics as well. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit more about psychedelics too. You, I, I wish I, I, your book, I had in a PDF form. So it was like really hard to try to like make some notes, but there was one experiment in there with psilocybin. It might've been MDMA as well with the two. But what I found really interesting was after you had said they had administered this test, there was a very large study of people that participated in this. And then they also took out people that could have been experiencing psychosis or have like a precursor for psychosis, but that the people were who were agnostic or atheist came out of it with a completely changed thought about about something else being out there. And I thought that that was really interesting. And you also talked about most people reporting during these experiences that they identify either a guide, it was a guide or, I don't think it was the word spirit, a being, either guide or being that they were able to identify that they experienced in this psychedelic experience there. And this also happened to you as well. You know, yeah, so like you said. Sorry, the, the, the yeah. study you're referring to is the uh, the DMT study by Rick yeah, Ross. The DMT, that's it, right? Yes. There's a, there's a Netflix documentary about it, which is where I initially got the information from, and then I kind of read read the, the book around it. Yeah, I mean, the, the the crazy thing about it is, it didn't matter from what walk of life these people were from; they were all having the same experiences, and they all came out of it with, like you said, like with a completely renewed faith, I suppose, in something in a in a higher power, and my experience with ayahuasca was the was the life-changing experience because prior to that i'd already had spiritual experiences that had like you know glimpses let's say glimpses of what of what the universe is all about and then when i had my 
completely revelatory. You know, what, what can I say? It, it was a, it was an experience of what I what I would say God is. So you know, the, the consciousness of the universe, like like leaving everything behind. So leaving my physical body, my ego, and everything, and all that, just dissolving and becoming one with that thing that we call God, was my experience. And when I came back from that. It's like you said earlier on, it's, it's a knowing. It's not like I, I, I believe that this is the case. It's like, I know now, like I, I was just thinking in the shower, actually, funnily enough, I don't know why, maybe I was thinking about this podcast, but I don't have any fear of death at all now. Hmm. I, my fear around death would be leaving people behind, you know, like I'd hate to die young and leave my daughter without a father, but the actual fear of death doesn't exist because I know how blissful that experience was. And my presumption is that, you know, that once you go into that, you know, the oneness that you probably come out again as a, as a different being, you know, so that's kind of, you know, that's just how I imagine it to be, but it's based on the experience of ayahuasca and how it wasn't, there was just like, there, there was just a download of information that happened and it's very difficult to explain, but it kind of just puts everything into perspective and and it becomes a very, very deep knowing. Yeah, well, and maybe when you were in the shower, you're picking up on some of the questions that, because that was the other thing that I had highlighted. Generally, my fear for no reason has been eliminated by faith, you say, which was born from many spiritual experiences. And I think it was that point in the book where you were talking about how love, how God is love and fear. And you were almost convinced, I think it was a Hawkins, Hawkins, that when once he said that he was afraid of something, then that kind of changed your mind a little bit about him, because I think he was kind of had a really good case that there was no existence of God. But then you were kind of talking about that God, too, has this duality, I guess you could say. But I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever ran into anyone that has said what you said of not having any fear for no reason you said except for venomous snakes and like insects that could like really kill you but other than that based on your faith this just having fear for no reason which so many people are on this planet with so much anxiety worrying about so many things every single day that your faith eliminated that fear for you yeah and it's been a progressive thing it wasn't it wasn't like an overnight kind of like all of a sudden i, I don't have any fear and any anxiety at all and, and, you know, don't get me wrong, if I'm about to do an interview for, for a job, I would still get a little bit of anxiety around the fact that I've got to kind of stand up in front of them and do a presentation. But if I think back to how I was 10 years ago and how I am now, it, I'm, I'm a completely different person. And, and the level of fear, I mean, I'll give you a good example. So in December, I started doing jujitsu. And jujitsu, I've never, I've done, I did martial arts. I did karate when I was like very, very young. And ever since then, I've never done any martial arts i've never really had any fights with anybody or anything like that so to go into this this martial art with no training whatsoever no knowledge of what to expect and to be able to just go in there do it you know be part of the group i, I love it now i go three times a week now you know i've got loads of friends there i feel like i'm part of the community i don't feel fear before i go into into doing this very physical endeavor and that's how i know where i'm at you know like it, if i get to a place where fear starts to creep in around anything i know that something's not quite right you know like i'm not mm. i'm not practicing like i'm not meditating i'm not, not praying i'm not taking inventory i think the the tools that i've learned in recovery so and specifically well i'd say 
four, the five biggest tools that, I, that, I've, that I've, uh, I use on a daily basis to eliminate that fear is first and foremost is praying. Like I pray to whatever, you know, the high, higher power of the universe, whatever. And I, and I, and I generally pray to just be of service to people. I don't pray for the things that, that I want or that I think, think that I need in life. I try to pray to be of service. I meditate because I feel as though meditating calms me down. It also helps me to kind of receive these messages, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, I take inventory. So what that means is every night I kind of do a recce of the day, you know, kind of like where have I been dishonest? Have I been resentful? Have I been fearful? Have I been, not, you know, I look at the, the positives and the negatives of the day. And then the fifth one is that I, I write a gratitude list every day as well. So when I do that in the evening, I write 10 things as a minimum that I'm grateful for every day. And the reason why I do that is because if I'm grateful for the, th if I, if I acknowledge what I'm grateful for, I very, very rarely become ungrateful. So I go to bed feeling grateful. I wake up in the morning feeling grateful and throughout the day, if, if, if a bit of gratitude, like, you know, I might be having a bad day at work, for example. And I might be thinking to myself, oh, I can't, you know, hate, hate my job. I can't wait to go home tonight. And then the gratitude list will pop into my mind. And what's on my gratitude list? My job, you know, so it counterbalances the negativity. And these tools that I use every day mean that I don't suffer from anxiety. I don't suffer from, you know, those pangs of fear when I feel like I've, I've got to do something or I've forgotten to do something. And these are the things that plagued my life, you know, for so many years and, and made me very, very mentally unwell. So I feel like I have that freedom from, from fear because of the faith in the program and the higher power and uh, the love that that brings to my life. Yeah. And you mentioned about meditating too, like the two different main types of meditating. And another fact that I love that you put in there is that research shows that the more time you spend mind wandering, not being present, the less happy you are likely to be. And that humans devote a whopping 47% of their waking hours to mentally time traveling. I love the way that you put those words together. Mentally time traveling. I love that. But, you know, again, you also made it very simple. It's like meditation does not have to be this hard thing. And I'm not sure if I'm getting you confused with the other person I'm interviewing later today. But, you know, when it comes to meditation is that it really can be easy and that it's not that people can't meditate. Everybody can. Yeah, definitely. And meditation means different things to different people. And that's another thing that I've become very relaxed around everything that I do, you know? So I suppose in my early recovery, I was quite rigid around, you know, having to meditate twice a day, a minimum of half an hour a day and doing specific meditations. Whereas now it's just more about kind of just allowing myself to be, I think that's, I think that. I think self-acceptance and allowing yourself to just be who you are as is the goal for me, actually. I do a lot of just sitting or just lying on my bed and having a, having a snooze and, you know, just, just being my, just being in myself because I always had to be on the go, you know, like I was always, and, and, and the reason for that was I was running away from myself constantly. You know, I didn't want to feel my feelings. I didn't really want to engage with all the stuff that was going on in my head, you know, and it's just so nice now to be, to, to, to come to a place where I'm so much more calm, I'm so much more serene as a result of, and, and also just to add to that as well, that 
I come off social media completely. So during the pandemic, which is a bit of an odd thing to do when you've just written a book, I know, and, and it, <laughs> I don't think the publishers were too happy about that. But you know, I had to do I had to do this for for myself because I had, you know, I was on all the all the social media channels, and I had over the years developed you know built up quite a, quite a decent sized following, so that I could always promote the different things that I was doing, the books, etc., the podcast. And I just realized how much time it was taking me, how much it was taking me away from the present moment, especially with my daughter, you know, like I've got a two-year-old child who I just love to spend time with and I want to be present when I'm with her. I don't want things taking my attention away from, from her. And I just decided, right, I'm going to, I'm going to delete a lot and just see how I feel. Well, that was about six months ago now. And I, and I can honestly say that it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Mm. It's like the, the 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 mental bandwidth that I've got now in comparison to what I used to have, and, and how much I concentrate better, and how much more present I am. You know, I, I can't, can't recommend it enough. Yeah, so I'm sure some people are saying, "Well, how does his podcast survive, and how does he, you know, how do you get this book out?" And I have to say, I, I'd like to hear, you know maybe if there are some people who are fearful about letting go of their social media accounts, that the way that I met Ren hadn't, I, I found him through his publisher had a catalog of a bunch of different authors. So his publisher will email me a couple of times a week of different people who just released books. And I had never heard of you. I, the publisher didn't send me your information, but I went and I was like, oh, I didn't realize that they have a catalog. So I could probably more specifically pick and choose who I want, even though John Hunt Publishing sends me phenomenal people. I mean, it's just been a wealth for our podcast. So I never get a bad guest. And, but I, that's how I found you. So didn't find you from the publisher directly sending me your information. Clearly haven't heard of you on social media, but yet here you are. So, you know, when I hear that, that for me is also a little bit of a synchronistic sign that just shows that there's some more divine work at art here, you know, of connecting people in that web of consciousness that wherever you me you're meant to be, you'll show up there or the forces that are around us will make sure that you get there. And so I'm curious to know your state of mind is clear. You have more bandwidth. Has it been a complete flop for your business and selling books and the podcast? Or are you finding kind of how I'm finding and how we found you that the people that you're supposed to meet and the people who are supposed to listen to your podcast and read your book just find you and you show up to them. Well, my my wife said to me when I when I first first decided to come off social media, she said, How are you gonna do that when you've just published a book and you know, you've got the podcast and everything? And I said, Well, the podcast has come to a natural point where it could end i've said everything that i wanted to say and i've had some wonderful conversations over the last two years but i feel as though i'm kind of regurgitating the same thing over and over again and and, uh, and again i want to spend time with my daughter i want more time to and i started jujitsu so i wanted to put you know put time into that so the podcast ended and now somebody else has taken over the life in recovery podcast. So there's another woman out there who's doing a life in recovery podcast, which is wonderful. So I don't know who she is, but like that's, that's she's taken the name and more power to her. So that's kind of kept going as far as the books concerned and, and the previous books, I always said when I wrote the books that 
I wanted to get them out there. And if they did well, they did well. And if they didn't, they didn't. It was like an achievement to get a book published. All the previous books, there was five books prior to that, or four books prior to that, which were self-published. And that was an achievement in itself. Um, but then getting this book published was wonderful. But I always said that if it's meant to do well, and it's meant if if that if that message is meant to get out there and, and people are supposed to read it and people are supposed to take something from it, then they will do anyway, despite me. And my whole life in recovery has been a, very much about because you said at the at the very beginning in my bio, I used to be a DJ. So as you can imagine, when I was a DJ in my in my twenties and everything was I was a, I was an ego maniac. I was like an ego on a stick, you know. It was like everything was about look at me, you know, look at me. I, I want my, everybody's attention. And what I recognized throughout my recovery is that that ego started to deflate a little bit. And, and even though the books were always about helping people, there was still an element of my ego in there. You know, still, I would have loved it if I'd have become a famous author, you know, there was kind of that element to it still. So for me to give that up and just say like, there you go, universe, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to get on with my life, be a great dad, enjoy my jujitsu, enjoy my job and, and be as, you know, the best family member I can be. It was a huge thing. And it was kind of like the last step in, I think, my letting go of that need for affirmation from other people, because that, that, that always stemmed from, from my early childhood, you know, and I, I had this epiphany where I recognized that I'd always been trying to get the atten get the praise from, especially from men, because my dad's an alcoholic and he's 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 been in recovery for thirty odd years. But because I had a bad a bad relationship with my dad in, in my early years, I formed this need to get to gain the approval of men that I didn't even like. So, for example, in the DJ world, I was always trying to get the attention and the affirmation of people that ran clubs and ran record labels and, you know, and people that could give me a leg up. I didn't necessarily like these people and I didn't necessarily want to be friends with them, but I would befriend them. And then I was trying to manipulate them. And that was just a, a horrible way of being, you know, and, and I'm sure they could see through it. I'm sure they could see that that was what I was trying to do because you can see when someone's trying to manipulate you usually. So I've really backed off from that type of behavior and, and this, as you just said, then you found me and this has been a wonderful conversation and that makes me happy. Like it, what makes me happy is when this, when this conversation finishes, that's it, you know, like the conversation's finished and whoever listens to that, that's, that's amazing, you know, but it, it won't be affecting my day-to-day -day life anymore. I won't be thinking to myself, right, I've got to promote this podcast now, I've got to get on social media, I've got to get, you know, hundreds of listeners on Facebook and da, 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 da. And that was what was going through my mind all the time. You know, like I was constantly, constantly trying to promote stuff. Now I can just sit back and go, right, universe, there you go. We've had a nice conversation. Hopefully it'll help somebody out there. Right. And then you can leave all that marketing madness to me and my, my business partner and we'll take care of it for you. We'll put it out there. And Sorry. Yeah, no problem. So good to know because when we, you know, after we get done interviewing people and the interview comes out, we usually send, oh, here's the links. Here's the audiogram for your social media. We we won't need to send you anything. We'll just ask. I mean, when I, I mean, I've done, I've done other, other interviews and, and whenever I get the links, I do send them to people because I know people that will promote them, you know, like I've got yeah. friends that have still got huge followings. And so I send them to them and then whatever they do, but I suppose I just don't know what the reach is. And 
I don't know how many books I've sold. I mean, I, I won't, I won't get to get like a, I get like a quarterly amount. So I, that hasn't come up yet for, for the first quarter. So I've got no idea whether the book's doing well or whether the book's not doing well. Right. But when that information comes, it'll be what it is. You know, it will be what it is. Well, one of the things I love about what you just said of kind of having social media come to an end, the podcast, when you said, I've said everything I needed to say, thank you. I needed to hear that. It's a little inspirational because I'm coming close up to about 500 episodes and kind of feeling like, yeah, what else could I say? Who else could I interview that I haven't quite, which is actually why I sought your information out because I thought, well, let me bring it back to the roots of consciousness and conversations of that, which is what the podcast was originally about. But I also love the fact that you're you move to what brings you joy. You know, yeah. it's your daughter, jujitsu. And not saying that the podcast didn't bring you joy per se or any of this, but like you wrote the book, it was a personal achievement, and then you're done with it. And I think that that's important to for people to even go back and listen to and hear the way that you describe that, because I don't hear the ego attached to attached. You know, it's not like, okay let me keep doing this podcast because I've been doing it so long. I mean, the same thing kind of happened to you when you were a DJ and you were at that really big event and you were like, I'm done, I'm done with this. You know, it's like you hear something intrinsically within you. It says that you're done. And it sounds to me like you don't really fight that. It's just like, there isn't this attachment to, and I'm sure there's work involved in it. I know that you've been through your own, you know, therapy and, you know, the 12 step program and all that. So like you said, this stuff doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but the fact that you've let go of some things, it appears to be with ease and you're just following your joy and your life has become simpler and your mind is quieter. And I think that's really what life is about is us trying to achieve that. So I just, I love hearing that and I find it to be incredibly inspiring. Yeah, it's got, it's got ease. I mean, it was very difficult to let go of things and and with the podcast i did actually i stopped the podcast at, you know about a year ago and then i started it up again because i missed it and and i think that i still had that attachment where i was like still got stuff to say still people that i want to interview but a big part of it was that towards the end of the podcast was i interviewed a couple of my heroes so one of my dj heroes and a guy that was a promoter for a massive club in the UK, who, which I was kind of part of when I was young. And they're, they're both in recovery now. Once I'd done those interviews, I felt like I'd come full circle then, you know, like back to kind of like my roots. And and that was at the point at which I said, now, now I've, I've done. So then it was easier to let go. And when I, I, I know that I've let go of it because when I saw that somebody else had used the name Life in Recovery podcast, mm. wasn't that, oh my God, somebody's stolen my name. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> Cool. I'm glad, you know, like I, it's nice that someone's got the name. It's a cool name. And I think that I've always, well, another thing I realized is I've always been attached to the persona or, you know, like, so when I was DJing, my DJ name was Lox, L-O-X. So I was Lox, you know, Lox was my alter ego that I became when I DJed. When I write books, I'm Ren Koi, you know, Ren Koi is this kind of like, the spiritual alter ego of, of me, do you know what I mean? So now I'm just kind of like me, I'm just John, you know, I'm just like going through life with a family and, you know, and, and doing stuff. And, and like you said, everything, if something becomes a chore and feels like I'm not getting that joy out of it, I'm not getting that enjoyment out of it, I'll stop and I'll just go and do something else. And the most important thing for me is whatever it is that I'm pursuing, it has to be creative. 
So even jujitsu is a very creative martial art. Like it's so it's one of those things where you constantly learn. Like even if you're a black belt and you've been doing it for 10, 15 years, constantly learning new things. And I love that. Like I my my the way I am as a person, I need to be evolving continuously. I need to change. I can't stand being stuck, you know, like and, and when I see other people that are very stuck and they, and they especially people that don't even think that they need to change. You know, like if somebody says to me, oh, like, well, I don't need to change. I just, it just baffles me. I just think, <laughs> oh, okay. So you're perfect. You're a perfect person and you don't need to change anything. And I'm the total opposite to that. I, I know that I'm very flawed as a person. And, you know, if you lived one day with me, like if you were my wife, my wife could tell you all my flaws, like <laughs> very, very quickly. <laughs> As could my stepchildren, and I'm sure my daughter, when she can talk properly, will be able to do that as well. So, you know, by no means do I think that I'm kind of like anything special. I'm just, I'm just very committed to change, to the process of it. Um, and, you know, maybe there'll be another book. Like I was just had the, I had the idea the other day, actually, now I started jujitsu. I think if I, well, I state if when, because I am determined to achieve a black belt, which will probably take about 10 years. I think when I achieve my black belt, I'll write another book about that journey, you know, like, and how my spiritual life has tied in with that, because it's a very spiritual martial art um, and the community around it is very similar to my recovery community as well. You know, the way we all support each other and stuff. So yeah, so there's, there's probably a concept there. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I'm going to be around in 10 years for the podcast, but if we are and we're still pushing out on social media you are more than welcome to come back because i have really just enjoyed this conversation immensely i think i got all my talking points that i wanted to talk about and you picked up on some that i didn't have to ask you because that's how tuned in you are but yeah this was a lot of fun very inspiring and i'm really glad i stumbled upon your book and you and have you on the podcast so thank you so much for your time today Okay, there's just one thing I just wanted to very quickly add. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've heard, because everybody in the world has heard about this artificial intelligence that Google's created, mm-hmm. that's supposedly sentient. So I just listened to a podcast with the guy who who is the one who, you know, who had the revelation to worked at Google. The guy, I can't remember his first name, Lemoyne, his surname. So in the book, I think right near the end of the book, I, I say, yeah. I, I don't believe that machines will ever become sentient. Yes. And this could completely prove me wrong. Like, I mean, it, it, it's, I listened to the podcast and, you know, I, I'm not convinced either way yet, but for me, if the, if the requirement for sentience is not biological, so if consciousness mm-hmm. can, consciousness can arise out of a machine, then that totally just flips everything on its head. And, and, and I, and I don't, I don't know where that leaves me and, and what I was saying in the book. So it'd be very interesting to find out where the leads. Yeah. I, you know, when I read that, I had just heard about the AI, you know, article maybe two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. And I read that and I was thinking, oh, well, I think he must've written this beforehand because they're, you know, they are talking about that and it's, you know, it's interesting. It's like my childhood days. I used to love watching the Terminator and never in a million years that I think that maybe this, would, you know, come to life with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, the machines and all that. I was like, but wow, you know, hopefully it won't turn into a Terminator, you know, situation. But 
Yeah. Like you, like you said, hey, right. science, science changes, right? So maybe that's a whole nother book for you too. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see how, we'll see where that goes and maybe that'll feature in the next book. <laughs> yeah. And even though people can't necessarily find you on social media, where would you recommend if they want to read more about this book, All is One, or any of your, do you carry it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble? Yeah, they're on all the major outlets online. And also, if you just want to go to www.o-books.com and you'll get my bio and a link to the book. Okay, great. We'll make sure that we put that link in the show notes. And I just want to thank you all for listening. And if you're watching on Pathlane 11 TV, thank you for watching. And I hope you all have a beautiful day. And I hope that you got something out of this wonderful conversation with Ren. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code podcast30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.